You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome to America's Web Radio. This is Ron Bachman, and you're listening to Healthcare Insight. I want to quote from a recent newsletter that was put out by the Galen Institute because they talk about a number of issues on healthcare reform that are really important and critical to the timing of any change and change of direction that conservatives and free market thinkers are going to go. You know, in the past, there have been a number of conservative healthcare reform uh, proposals that have been put forward, and the Galen Institute has been one of the leaders in putting forward America's health care choices plan. The Heritage Foundation has also put forward programs, and those two organizations located in Washington, D.C., have been working together to try to promote the idea of free market reforms with slightly different but consistent approaches. I've been working with the Georgia Public Policy Foundation and putting together another alternative called personalized health insurance. And you can actually find the entire description of that at personalizedhealthinsurance.net. So in the past, what's happened is that everybody with their own approach to healthcare reform or free market solutions have sort of been siloed. And while they've been working and coordinating to some degree, they also have been pushing their own unique solutions and not wanting to have too much other noise, if you will, on the side of alternatives. So there's been no coalescing around a common theme or common approaches. There's been not a good discussion, an educational, informative discussion about the strengths or weaknesses of different approaches. It's kind of like I have an approach I want to take to Congress and don't bother me with alternatives or real comments. Now, there have been some groups that have gotten together and tried to coalesce and provide input, but it's very difficult to do that in many cases. So what I want to talk about today is that new beginning where actually because Republicans are out of power in the House and Senate, yes, it's a close vote in both, but the Democrats have control. As Newt Gingrich, who I worked with for many years, used to say, smart politicians out of power need to take that time to really educate themselves, to look at alternatives, to develop a consensus around ideas so that when they get back in power, they can act quickly to implement those ideas. So we have a new beginning here, which at first blush with Biden administration and Democratic control of the House and the Senate, you'd think, well, you know, we might need to wait for a couple of years to see if Republicans can get back in power and be able to really develop free market solutions. Well, the opposite is true because now we no longer have to be siloed. Right now, smart, smart politicians and smart think tanks ought to be working together to develop a consensus, to be open to new ideas, to be open to the idea that there are alternatives and prepare potential candidates and candidates up for re-election in 2022 to actually have a health care reform bill. You know, it's going to be really important, even at the governor level in Florida and Texas in 2022, there are new elections for those offices. And I believe health care reform is going to be at the top of the list. Those governors are going to be pressed by Democratic um, uh, uh, opponents 
to expand uh, the ACA and expand the uh, Medicare uh, option, the, the Medicaid option for those states. And so there needs to be a solution out there for those populations in states that have not expanded the Medicaid option under the Affordable Care Act. So let me read from a newsletter that's recently put out that kind of puts it all in context. It says, and now we begin a new chapter in our decades-long endeavor to fight for health freedom. We face many hurdles, but after 25 years of engaging in health policy debate, we are ready to face these challenges and seek new opportunities to advance patient-centered reform. What we know is that the Biden administration will push an agenda that further expands the role of government in the health sector, including spending much more on Obamacare, creating new government-run insurance plan called the public option, and looking to add a new class of people to Medicare despite the program careening towards insolvency. We believe that we have a better idea to expand coverage, lower the cost of health care, increase choices, and provide the most for the most vulnerable. The Galen Institute's Healthcare Choices 2020 proposal is uniquely suited to achieve these goals with dozens of specific recommendations that can be implemented at the federal or state levels. Many of our recommendations could garner bipartisan support, and we will work, as we always do, with those from both sides of the aisle. So what's ahead? Well, Galen Sr., fellow Doug Badger, take the bod, pro, a bod, <laughs> podcast that I think you will find illuminating, hosted by Chip Kahn, the knowledgeable and politically savvy president and CEO of the Federation of American Hospitals. But Doug has decades of experience in the Senate and the House, and he's now with the Galen and the Heritage Foundation as a top leader in designing free market policy and was paired with the equally experienced Chris Jennings, president and founder of the Jennings Policy Strategies. Now, let me stop right there. Chris Jennings is a Democrat. He's been working on Democratic health care proposals for national health reform, for centralized government for decades. He was around and involved in the early 1990s with Hillary Care, uh, certainly with Obamacare input. And what we know is Doug Badger is from the Republican side working on free market solutions and worked in the Bush administration and has been working on free market solutions for a good while. So there's a good debate that I'll share with you uh, in later segments of um, Healthcare Insight. So in addition to these keen insights that these people can bring about the process and policymaking in the White House and action to combat covid some of the key points that Doug Badger makes in particular are we are ready for near universal coverage. When you look at the uninsured, most people who are uninsured right now have access to coverage, free coverage through Medicaid, free or virtually free coverage through the exchanges, and a big chunk of people who declined employer-sponsored insurance. Most of the others are those who are not lawfully present in the United States and people in states who have not expanded Medicaid, he says. Well, again, let me stop and comment on, on Doug's uh, phrase there. The real issue, from my perspective, are individuals and small groups. So those people who decline coverage of employer-sponsored insurance are typically working in small employers who either have not funded or supported the purchase of insurance 
or the cost is still too high for people who are what I call the working poor. Now, the real debate is going to be in the United States about those who are not lawfully present in the United States. Do we give them health insurance at the federal level when so many Americans are without insurance? It makes no sense to me that we would do that, but that is what the Biden administration has talked about and what they have written about in their own platforms leading up to the election. Another item that is mentioned is what I talked about earlier, and that is the gubernatorial elections in Texas and Florida. So much of the debate may wind up at the state level. So it's critically important that conservatives get together and develop a proposal, a real health care proposal for free market solutions that will help in gubernatorial and state level and ultimately federal level elections in 2022. Now, there's, a good, there's some good news out there. A coalition of free market policy experts submitted on December 29th a comment letter by the Galen senior fellow, Brian Blaze, arguing, urging the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Service to institute policies that give states flexibility, create programs better tailored to their own citizens' needs. Now, again, let me jump into the uh, letter from the Galen Institute. What they have been trying to do for many years is trying to get block grants back to states so states can make better decisions. I don't really see that happening under the Biden administration or under this Congress. They're not going to give states flexibility. What the Democrats and the progressives want is total control in Washington, total design, structure, financing, all centered in Washington, D.C., and not giving states the kind of flexibility that they had. There is obviously a section in Obamacare that's been discussed on this program and in many other forms around Section 1332 that gives more flexibility to states. And under the Trump administration, that flexibility was being expanded and options were being put out there that were less restrictive than the original Affordable Care Act, Section 1332, as, as interpreted by the Obama administration. I think we're going to go right back to the kind of restrictive guidelines for any kind of submitted waiver using that Section 1332 uh, section uh, under, the Obama, under the Biden administration. They are not going to give states kind of flexibility. It's sort of pie-in-the-sky thinking that they would. So I think there's a real issue here around health care reform that is going to open up an opportunity for people to actually get together to talk to new legislators, especially many of the the female elected representatives in the House of Representatives, the, they, as I've read many of their press releases, are very interested in replacing the Obamacare. There's not enough votes to do that, but I think that group is smart enough, from what I have read, to actually think about the different options. I think it would be a great idea to have a forum with at least three options, maybe some more uh, being presented and then having elected officials or their designees actually have an open discussion and try to coalesce around a single approach. Uh, and if it's the approach I've been putting out there that has been uh, suggested by the past White House or it's the Galen Institute or it's the Heritage Foundation or any other approach, uh, John Goodman at the Goodman Institute has had his own thoughts on how to do this. We need to have a national forum of conservative, Republican, free market thinkers around health care to finally put together 
a single approach that everybody could buy into and promote. And that would be what Republicans could run on in 2022. It's how we could win back the Senate, win back the House, and be positioned in 2024 to win the presidency and implement free market health reform rather than being under the thumb of bureaucrats and politicians and lobbyists in Washington, D.C. Make no mistake, this is all about power, politics, and control. Federal government is spending an enormous amount of money with the Affordable Care Act subsidies that are going to people who really don't need it and leaving behind those people who really do. The whole idea of free market solution is not to eliminate the problems of the uninsured, but to support getting more money focused on the people who really need it, not spreading out and giving everybody some money to gain their vote and to get them to vote you back into power because you're willing to give them even more. So let's take a break, and we're going to come back and really delve into this whole issue in a few minutes uh, in great detail. So hang with me as we break for a commercial. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Lee Greenwood, and I am so proud that the Warriors for Hope group has asked me to host their first annual fundraising event to benefit St. Jude Children's Research Hospital and Warriors to Citizen on January 28th. I'm looking forward to some very impressive people talking to us about social responsibility and the need to help worthy people with long-term physical or psychological issues. It's going to be a great show with a great cast, I promise. And hey, I might even sing. Go to Warriors for Hope website to register and donate to support our cause. Want to give your family or loved one the perfect gift? Then go online and check out the TornadoBodyDryer.com. I love mine and the warm heat air massage it gives me after my shower. The Tornado Body Dryer is super. You'll love it and you'll love having one in your shower. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to America's Web Radio. We're talking about healthcare reform and how free market thinking is going to progress over the next couple of years, where the Democrats are in control of the White House, the Senate, and the House of Representatives. It seems we've moved closer and closer with those centers of power to national health reform expansion beyond what anybody thought was going to happen just a few months ago. Who would have thought the Democrats would take control and that the progressives would take control of the Democratic Party in such a strong way? But there are choices out there. There are alternatives out there that should be working together and developing a national conservative, free market reform so that politicians can go forward with elections over the next several years because health care is going to drive the agenda of the Democrats. There has to be an answer to their constant pushing towards more centralized government control in Washington, D.C. And there are, but the media hasn't picked up on it, And unfortunately, Republicans, conservatives have not coalesced around a single idea. There are variations of approaches to free market. 
And as I mentioned in the first segment, the Galen Institute has been on the forefront. So I want to take this segment and I want to focus on what the Galen Institute has been promoting. And here's a little bit of an executive summary of what their proposal includes. And I'll read from one of their documents and then make some comments on it. It says the nation faces a clear choice between two paths for America's health care future. One is largely controlled by government and strewn with empty promises. The other is controlled by you and doctors, leading to more choices, lower costs, and improved quality and access. The first path builds on failure. Approaches like a public option, Medicare for all, on the installment plan, double down on Obama's care's failures, especially its soaring costs and tightening restrictions on access to doctors and hospitals you want and need. Make no mistake, no matter how their ideas are packaged, the left's ultimate goal is Medicare for all, legislation sponsored by a majority of House Democrats that would outlaw your existing coverage and put you in a system where all your choices are controlled by government. The second path reflects American values, an innovative, patient-focused approach that gives you more control and better choices at lower costs. It's a path that frees patients and doctors to make healthcare decisions and empowers innovators to produce better solutions at lower prices. It makes insurance and care more affordable while better protecting those with pre-existing conditions and chronic health challenges. And it's a path that helps you. Independent estimates show that it will lower premiums by up to 24%, cover nearly 4 million more people through private coverage, and improve access to medical providers by 8%. The American people know we have a real need challenge. You want to be in charge of your health care without asking Washington politicians or health insurance bureaucrats for permission? Well, here's how the health care choices proposal makes you better off in at least 10 ways. One, it empowers you to keep your health coverage when doctors and doctors when you change or lose your job. You know, this COVID-19 pandemic has exposed the need for people to have secure and portable health coverage. Congress should codify and improve the Trump administration's health reimbursement arrangement rule that allows employers to offer and employees to use tax-free dollars to buy insurance they can keep if they lose or change jobs. Our plan would also let low-income patients use the value of their existing government coverage to enroll in better private health plans, including employer-sponsored coverage. Two, it saves money on health care and drugs by making the prices of health care transparent. Medical care is one of the few services where you don't know the price until weeks or months after you receive it. Congress should codify the administration's transparency rules so you can compare prices and obtain the best value and share in savings. Three, eliminates your risk of surprise medical bills through transparency and truth in advertising. Too many patients face high medical bills they did not expect, did not agree to pay. Transparent prices and truth in advertising are the first steps to resolving the problem. Number four, 
benefits you financially when you choose lower-cost, high-quality care. Prices for the same medical services can vary by thousands of dollars. You should be able to benefit if you choose a lower-cost alternative that better suits your needs. Congress should permit and should permanently eliminate regulatory barriers that prevent you from shopping for value, and it should allow you to put any savings you receive into a health savings account. Number five, better gives you options, lower premiums, and better access to care if you get sick, have a pre-existing condition, or need financial help. Today, Congress spends money to insurance companies and imposes burdensome mandates that drive up the cost of coverage for everyone. Instead, Congress should give regulatory relief to states so they can reform their insurance markets, and it should convert the subsidies that currently go to Medicaid expansion and health insurance tax credits into formula grants to the states to support coverage for lower income and vulnerable patients. The grants would be distributed through the Children's Health Insurance Program with a built-in life protection so taxpayers can't use money to fund abortions. Six, gives you access to specialized plans and care if you have a chronic illness. Health insurance plans can perform better when they don't try to be all things to all people. Instead, we should encourage plans that include centers of excellence, catering to patients with specific medical problems such as heart disease or diabetes. Congress should clear away barriers to block this option. Number seven, gives you more options to get insurance and care tailored to your needs and to those of your family. Government rules that dictate Every detail of insurance policies keeps consumers from selecting plans that make the most sense. Congress should codify the administration's rules on association health plans and short-term policies, expanding the range of options for consumers to get coverage that meets their needs, including the ability to choose a direct primary care doctor or join a health care sharing ministry. Number eight makes it easier for you to manage your own health care dollars. Millions of Americans with high health care costs are not eligible to contribute to health savings accounts, including seniors on Medicare. Congress should create a broad, flexible access to these accounts so anyone can use them in conjunction with more versatile plans, including those that provide high-quality care for chronic illnesses. Number nine, makes health, telehealth permanent. So you can talk virtually with medical care providers. Telehealth allows patients to have access to their doctors without long waits, trips to emergency rooms, and the risk of exposure to other sick patients in a doctor's office. Regulators cleared away barriers to telehealth during the pandemic, and the number of virtual doctor visits has soared in just a few months. Congress and states should make this temporary relief permanent and relax other barriers to unleash the full potential of new care delivery options. And finally, number 10, it removes barriers to innovation and competition. Policymakers at the federal level and state level have imposed burdensome mandates and regulations that discourage competition, interfere with patients' access to care of their own choosing, and reward big businesses and special interests at the expense of patients. Examples include certificate of need laws that create barriers to entry and rules that prevent providers from practicing at the top 
of their education and training. Congress and the states should lift those barriers to foster innovation and provide more and better options for consumers to get lower prices and better quality through competition. So the debate today is between those who want to exert more government control over the healthcare sector and those like the Gala Institute who favor giving patients more choice and control and allowing the creativity we have seen in the COVID-19 crisis to flourish. The Galen Institute wants a system that encourages innovation and competition to provide consumers the best care at the lowest cost. They welcome the opportunity to work with policymakers to shape the better, brighter care, healthcare future we believe can be ahead. Well, let me comment on that entire summary of the Galen Institute's Healthcare Choices Program. It's a great program with a lot of ideas that you would think in normal times people would coalesce around. Increasing access to care, allowing more health savings account, empowering the individual, giving more choices and options. You would think in normal times that there would not even be much debate about that. But clearly, healthcare and health insurance has a division line there between progressives and Democrats who want centralized government and Republicans, conservatives, free market folks who want more choices and more power in the individual. Clearly, the votes that people made for Congress have shifted us to the more likelihood that we're going to get more centralized government. We're certainly not going to get an expansion in some of the areas that the Galen Institute is asking for. That is why I suggest that these are great ideas. They're very consistent with what the Heritage Foundation has been talking about and very consistent with the approaches that I put together in the personalized health insurance proposal. Again, you can read that entire proposal that I put forth at the website personalizedhealthinsurance.net. I encourage you to take a look at that. I encourage anybody listening from Washington, D.C., any recently elected officials or any officials who really are serious about health care reform ideas, to take a look at that website and to consider the options that have been put out by both the Galen Institute, the um, Heritage Foundation, and I would add the um, Goodman Institute. But we need to get together those multiple sources who have put together strong packages of free market solutions. We need to get together. And I'm making a call today for these organizations to come together. I've made phone calls and I've been given some encouragement. But whether that actually happens or is that a passive aggressive approach to my inquiries, I want us to get together and develop a unified approach because we're very consistent. There's probably less than 5% difference in any of the approaches that I have read that are free market solutions. So let's take another break, and we'll be right back, and we'll continue this discussion of various alternatives and free market solutions and how people should begin working together to actually prepare for when conservatives and Republicans take power again. Hey guys, it's Minister Frankie with Shine His Light Ministries. It's getting cold outside and winter is coming. It's time to shine a little light on our friends on the street. We're collecting blankets and coats for the homeless all winter long. 
please donate by going to our website at www.shinehislightministry.com or text 770-655-8055. Hi, I'm Lee Greenwood, and I am so proud that the Warriors for Hope group has asked me to host their first annual fundraising event to benefit St. Jude Children's Research Hospital and Warriors to Citizen on January 28th. I'm looking forward to some very impressive people talking to us about social responsibility and the need to help worthy people with long-term physical or psychological issues. It's going to be a great show with a great cast, I promise. And hey, I might even sing. Go to Warriors for Hope website to register and donate to support our cause. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages, join me, Roger B., every Tuesday at 1400 hours right here on America's Web Radio for the Locked and Loaded Show. We will talk about guns, weapons, ammo, gun accessories, prepping, and so much more. So be sure to join us every Tuesday at 1400 or 2 p.m. for Locked and Loaded on America's Web Radio. If you live to serve and want to make an even bigger difference, consider joining the U.S. Army. With training in fields like medical care, linguistics, and engineering, an Army career can amplify your efforts with humanitarian opportunities all over the world. Plus, you'll receive competitive pay and incredible benefits, so you'll be taken care of, too. Learn more at GoArmy.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to America's Web Radio. Today we're talking about health reform with the Biden administration, uh, changing directions from the direction of free market solutions that the Trump administration was proposing and the flexibilities that were offered by the Trump administration, even without the repeal of Obamacare, which politically they were not able to do. But they did use some of the flexibilities in the Obamacare, the ACA, if you will, uh, law under something called Section 1332 to give states more flexibility uh, and to improve some of the free market, consumer-oriented, uh, patient-centered options, uh, making things available that were not allowed under Obamacare. So one of the people that I want to take uh, segments of an interview that were done with um, um, Doug Badger. Uh, Doug is somebody I've known for many years. We've uh, actually um, cut, cross paths a number of times. I had him out speaking at a conference I was doing. I ran into him when he was at the White House um, and talked about uh, Medicare reform various times. Uh, but he's a very knowledgeable guy. He is a link between the Galen Institute and the Heritage Foundation uh, proposals that we discussed in the earlier segments of this hour. So I want to take some time and really uh, delve into some of the thoughts that Doug Badger has. He's a critical player in any reform that might happen, any proposals that might be developed while the Republicans and free market thinking is out of power. So, Doug, I want to ask you a question. With the new Biden administration coming into play, they have two major health or healthcare initiatives. One is COVID, and that's clearly the forefront, the number one issue. They ran their whole campaign on it. They've made COVID uh, solutions and the inability of the Trump administration to properly handle it, the key part of their campaign. And so they're clearly going to put an enormous amount of time and effort and and presence and policymaking around COVID. Uh, that's the number one. 
But number two and close behind, and maybe a little bit more in the longer term, is the whole healthcare reform, where they're going to uh, develop healthcare policy, how that's going to be done. Now, I don't want to get into too much detail and into the weeds, but you've been there in Washington. You've been in the White House doing this uh, for prior administrations. Give us a little bit of an insight of some of the complexities that might be occurring, some of the management issues, and how a new administration is going to have to deal with multiple initiatives around COVID and healthcare reform ideas that they've been promoting throughout their campaign, and people are going to be looking for solutions. How do you see this working out? It does raise some management questions. Something we had during the Bush administration after 9-11 was the creation of the Homeland Security Council. So now you had a council that was created to look at things, some of which were in the area of emergency response, like FEMA, some that may have been in the military area and others. And the lines between those offices uh, sometimes weren't exactly smooth. It's hard. You're in the White House staff. There's some territorial behavior that's going to have to happen, and we can talk a little bit more about that later. But it's a tough one, and I, I think probably the Clinton administration did too. They There used to be one policy council for domestic policy, known as the Domestic Policy Council, and he broke off the National Economic Council as separate from that. And I served as a staffer in the National Economic Council, and I will say from time to time, there were jurisdictional disputes over who was in charge of uh, some of the health care issues, whether it was NEC or the uh, Domestic Policy Council. Doug, that's some very interesting insights into the conflicts of uh, policymaking within the White House itself and the different divisions and what this administration may have to face in getting together an organized program to kind of do things within the first 100 days, as they've suggested to the public. It's not always as easy as it might think. But there's another complication I'd like your insights on, and that is the complications between departments and agencies. Um, Health and Human Services, HHS, is going to have their role in trying to solve the coronavirus distribution vaccine issues. And they're also going to have a key role in putting together health care policy issues because they're really the controlling entity with the secretary having enormous powers under the Affordable Care Act. How do you see those conflicts working over the next few months? Of a process issue or, or a personal issue? You know, Mr. Becerra, the incoming secretary, has accomplished a great deal in his career. He's won statewide election in California as attorney general and undoubtedly has a certain expectation of what uh, he's going to be dealing with. Tommy Thompson, who was uh, HHS secretary under President Bush, had been governor of Wisconsin. And he said, you know, when I was governor, I'd walk into the office in the morning with an idea. And by one o'clock, my staff was working on it. And he said, then I came to HHS. Now I have to run my idea past 63,000 employees, 12 operating uh, divisions. If I get it past then, I have to go to the White House Office of Management and the Budget. And he said, OMB tells you no nine times out of ten just to show you who's boss. If you get it past them, you have to get it through the White House Policy Councils, you know, the National Economic Council and so forth, and then pass the president. And he said, at that point, you get it through Congress. It's time to retire. Now, he was speaking somewhat ironically there. But one of the things that's going to happen is that 
you're going to need a very strong working relationship, not only within the White House staff, but between the White House and the cabinet secretary, particularly on pressing issues like uh, COVID. Uh, there will disputes will undoubtedly uh, arise. They always do. But how those disputes are handled is going to define the Biden administration's uh, success in, in the healthcare area just to a great extent. Doug, it's fascinating for some of us policy wonks to hear the inside of how things are structured and organized in the White House and across the government. You've been there. You've seen it. You've seen the difficulties. But clearly, talk more about some of the leadership style uh, in the White House and how that works to either advance or not advance certain policy initiatives. And also, if you will, talk about the divisions in the Democratic Party itself about the ideological differences between, if you will, the uh, liberals and the progressives. Some might call the liberals moderates, but uh, as a conservative myself, I don't call them uh, moderates at all. There's very few moderates, maybe a Joe Manchin and maybe one one other in the uh, Senate that I would even think about calling a moderate. So talk about some of these difficulties of actually implementing policies, because those of us who are on the free market conservative side of health reform are really worried that an administration can push through something very easily, very rapidly, that everybody's on the same page. But we know that's not always true in any kind of administration. So give us some thoughts on leadership style in the White House. I think there are a few things that that are uh, more important than that to the success of the president in in these various policy areas. Tevi Troy is presidential historian who and uh, was a colleague of mine in the White House has written a book last year called Fight House, in which he chronicles some of the staff uh, divisions that have occurred over the years, beginning with uh, with the Truman administration. And he he identifies what I think makes sense to me from my own experience: three big points. One is ideology. We know in the Biden administration it's going to be a division between those who are more moderate uh, and those who are more progressive. Second is process. Will the president have his chief of staff run a very tight process so that people get the opportunity to air their views, but once a decision is made, they feel as though they've been fairly treated and won't go out leaking to the Washington Post or the New York Times about their experience. And finally, it's a question really of President Biden, his tolerance of infighting. Some presidents like the idea of staff disagreements. Others are very averse to that. And so how they manage those three areas is is going to be very critical, particularly in an area as as, uh, important as health care. Doug, what can we expect from this administration that has got a very liberal, progressive philosophy uh, throughout many of the legislators and we think are going to dominate um, a, a what appears to be a relatively weak presidential opinion on things. He seems to be driven by outsiders. So what are some of the low-hanging fruit, some of the changes that can be made by those extreme liberal progressives to make changes on what's happening in our government and reverse some of the things that the Trump administration put in to help reform health insurance and health care. Um, what are some of the areas we should look for in the first 100 days? 
what I would think is that they would proceed sequentially, uh, and obviously some of these things are going to be happening all at the same time, but generally there's low-hanging fruit there, right? First are regulations or, or policy issuances that uh, the president and, and his new cabinet can reverse fairly quickly. There's also something called the Congressional Review Act, where Congress can vote simple up or down vote. There's no filibusters, no amendments, simple majority on resolutions to nullify regulations that may have been issued toward the end of the Trump administration. The Trump administration and the Republican Congress used that 14 times in their first year in office. And I would expect to see a similar thing with the Biden administration. The next thing I think that they would put a a priority on legislatively would be, depending on how they sequence these things, they may do their big COVID bill at the outset. They may, on the other hand, pass a budget resolution, which would enable them to then do a budget reconciliation bill. Again, a bill that cannot be filibustered and can be passed by simple majority in the Senate. And a lot of the new spending and a good deal of the new policy direction can actually be accomplished through a reconciliation bill. So I expect that to dominate the first 100 days. Clearly, the Republicans have been trying to get rid of the Affordable Care Act for a long time, but it's been in place now for 10 years or more. What are some of the areas of potential compromise that you see as we move forward with this very contentious issue of health reform? Uh, whether it's dealing with pre-existing conditions or whether it's dealing with increased subsidies or a public option, where are the areas that we might find some common grounds and where are the areas uh, where the battle will ensue? That's absolutely right. I, I do think there's been a change in the way Republicans view the ACA. I mean, you don't hear repeal and replace anymore. I do think they're going to have to tack differently on the pre-existing condition issue. President Trump had that cognitive dissonance where he said he he wanted to protect people with pre-existing conditions, but he was suing in federal court to have the Supreme Court strike down the pre-existing condition laws in, uh, in the ACA. I expect Republicans are going to embrace that at some point. Where I think you run into issues with Republicans, and I do think you'll you'll continue to see resistance, will be in, for example, enlarging the ACA subsidies. You will definitely see resistance to the public option. I would probably call that a non-starter on the Republican side, and and so one that will be a very difficult thing for the administration and Democratic leadership to manage. You'll probably see softening on things that enable, uh, facilitate people signing up for ACA coverage, like uh, the use of navigators and so forth. But I think on some of the big expansions that uh, the Biden uh, administration has identified as as areas of priority, I think you're still going to see Republican resistance there. This is great information and insight. If you'll just hang with us a little bit and carry over to the next segment, I'd love to ask you at least one more question. For the audience, please hang on. We'll be right back. Hey, folks, this is Victor with the On Point with Victor show. Make sure you listen every Tuesday, 1 to 2, only right here on America's Web Radio, the On Point with Victor show. Remember, folks, I'm not angry. I'm just right. And you can find out why every Tuesday from 1 to 2, the On Point with Victor show, only right here on America's Web Radio. 
Hi, this is Rocky Blyer, and I hope you'll make plans to join us on January 28th for Warriors for Hope. I'm thrilled to be a part of this virtual fundraiser for St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital and Warriors to Citizen. These organizations do so much to support veterans, first responders, and families who have been touched by pediatric cancer. I'd also like to thank David Moxley and his show, David's Pick, here on America's Web Radio for supporting Warriors for Hope. And I know you'll want to join in and support this event as well on January 28th. So visit warriorsforhope.events. That's warriors and the number four, hope.events. You can make a gift and reserve your seat for this virtual benefit. Again, that's warriors and the number four, hope.events. Thanks for your support, and we'll see you at noon on January 28th. Hello, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves? If you do, join us on the Doctor's Lounge and hear the doctors' conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Well, welcome back to the last segment of Healthcare Insight. You're listening to America's Web Radio. I'm Ron Bachman. And today we've been taking segments of an interview that was done uh, with Doug Badger on another podcast. So I've um, put in comments and thoughts and rephrased some of the questions uh, to get Doug's response. And I'm very much appreciative of the ability to sort of take this information and slice and dice it and present it in a way that I think this audience uh, would appreciate and get some insights not only in what's happening in Washington, but what to look out for. What kinds of issues will the Biden administration face in terms of internal conflicts that naturally occur in any White House? And recognizing that there are progressives that want more and there are moderates in the Democratic Party, if you want to call them that, or at least liberals, not progressives, who want some sort of an approach that makes a little bit more sense and isn't taking us down the road to socialism. So I appreciate that, and I want to continue with the kind of questioning uh, with Doug. So let's continue with that discussion for a little bit, and then I'll wrap up at the end of the session, and hopefully the audience here uh, listening in uh, has gained some real insights to the workings of Washington and the way healthcare policy might be uh, uh, put together and even under stress during the Biden administration's early months. So, Doug, what about this public option alternative. Is there another approach? Um, is there the idea of, and support maybe from both sides of the aisle of lowering the Medicare age from 65, maybe allowing a buy-in to age 60 or even 55? And if they do that, what about financing all this? Where are the taxes going to come from uh, from a system that's already in financial distress? Lowering the Medicare age could be a very, very complicated issue, right? Because you're, you're looking at a hospital insurance trust fund that goes bankrupt in 2024. So if you just dump a whole uh, bunch of people into that trust fund, uh, you're, you're going to hasten that, uh, uh, that date of insolvency. So they're going to have to have a different way to finance it, probably through general revenues as opposed to the payroll tax, which is how the HI fund is currently financed. I don't know where employers are going to come down on that, probably to be able to move older workers off their health plans sooner will, will, will be a boon to them. Uh, some of the private insurers will feel the same way, certainly if you can. I don't know how 
much you improve the risk profile for the exchange-based coverage by moving people in their early to mid-60s off those plans and pushing them into Medicare. But I expect that all of those kinds of factors will weigh into where Republicans will come down. And as I, I think they'll be initially skeptical, but I don't see that uh, necessarily as a, an issue where of crossing the Rubicon, depending on how it's structured and financed, it's conceivable they can have some sort of uh, discussion about that and went over some Republican support. Doug, there are so many issues around health care, health insurance, health reform, COVID, that this administration has got to pull together in a relatively short period of time. But we know that time passes fast. We've talked about the complications um, and conflicts that may occur in the White House, the conflicts and complications that will occur in agencies and departments um, big government moves slowly. It's hard to just drive stuff through without some sort of a general consensus and certainly without a bipartisan consensus. There's only so much that you can do, which is why the last couple of administrations have relied so heavily on executive orders. And we're in no different situation today. The country is divided 50-50. Yes, the Democrats may have control of the White House, the Senate, and the House, but my understanding is that there's not enough support in the Senate for filibusters uh, to get rid of the filibuster. The filibuster is likely to stay. Uh, I think if the Republicans play their cards right and don't overutilize it, that it will continue to be a process that gives the minority a voice, as it always has. The Republicans have talked about getting rid of the filibuster when Trump was in but they never wanted to agree to it because of the poor precedent that it would set. So now the Democrats have control, and technically they could get rid of the filibuster, but there's at least a couple of senators on the Democratic side that said they would never vote for it. So there's not a majority uh, to get rid of that filibuster. And there's so many big issues around health care that are going to come up that then are going to require 60 votes. It's going to require a bipartisan um, approach to deal with any major health care uh, legislation, except, as you've said, through reconciliation. Um, but beyond 100 days, what do you see as the agenda for this administration? How are they going to proceed, whether it's reconciliation or budget changes, tax increases, whatever it's going to be? There's going to be major initiatives that are being pushed by the Democratic Party alone, and by the progressive wing of the Democratic Party alone, but they've got a very loud voice. So what's going to happen between now and not just the things that are on the schedule at the moment around the coronavirus uh, relief package, the delivery of the vaccines, the things that are going to dominate some of the news and the public interest over the next 100 days. What's going to be the Democratic or Biden administration agenda uh, once we get beyond 100 days, because we do have a total of four years, maybe only two of the Republicans can get back and control the House and or uh, the Senate. But at least over the next two years, we've got some major initiatives. How is re the uh, Obama administration going to deal with that after these initial um, uh, programs are dealt with? Well, in terms of what may be, when, when you look at the uninsured and CBO, uh, Congressional Budget Office, has done a, a recent analysis of this. We also have it through the Kaiser Family Foundation, which has analyzed it. 
most people who are uninsured right now have access to coverage. Most of them get free coverage through Medicaid. Others can get free or virtually free coverage through the exchanges. A big chunk of people decline employer-sponsored insurance. The two big pockets of the uninsured that you can say really don't really have alternatives are those who are not lawfully present in the United States, and that that excludes them from coverage, and also people in states that have not expanded Medicaid and therefore are excluded from any federal support for their coverage. How you navigate that, I think the former one, I expect there will be some discussion of immigration reform as we, as we move on and we think about people who have been here for a long period of time but are excluded from certain federal benefits. As to the second one, I'm not sure that Congress will resolve the Medicaid expansion, but the two big pockets of uh, the two big states that haven't expanded are Florida and Texas. Both of them have gubernatorial elections coming up in 2022. People who wanted to expand Medicaid have done very well with referenda, putting that on the ballot. So I expect that that issue may be resolved by the states rather than by the federal government. So given all the complications in Washington, D.C., all the division in the country around health care reform, around moving towards socialism or free market uh, the, the Republicans being in disarray over the Trumpers and the, pro, and the anti-Trumpers, the never-Trumpers, and Democratic Party conflicts between the progressives and the liberals. Um, the reality is that many of these decisions, uh, from what I'm hearing you say, are really going to be played out at the state level. In particular, some of these um, elections that will be coming up in um, Florida and in Texas. Um, is that what I'm hearing you say, that we really ought to also be looking at the states, not just focus on Washington, D.C., but certainly don't take our eye off what's happening at the state level? That's right. And the Biden administration has talked about, actually, in Biden's campaign documents, what he said is they don't have to expand Medicaid. We will enroll people in those states in the public option. But that gets into a circular discussion as to whether there will be a public option. My own view is that this is more likely, as you say, to be resolved at the state level than the federal level, but it will certainly be a topic of conversation. Doug, I want to thank you so much for your insights today. It's very useful to have somebody who's been behind the scenes, has worked in the White House, has worked in Congress, has worked in the various departments, has put together health policy uh, initiatives. Uh, you fought a good fight. You've worked uh, for free market solutions. Um, there are others who have been on the other side trying to move us towards more centralized uh, federal government control. So I very much appreciate your insight. I think our audience has got some um, some new perspective on this administration, where it might go, some of the difficulties, and those of us who have feared that um, we're going to move too fast, too rapidly towards social med- socialized medicine, uh, maybe are given a little bit of a silver lining in the cloud of this of this election that uh, may be more difficult for them to do some things than um, we would hope. On the other hand, we know that they uh, can play games. We know that they can use reconciliation. Uh, they can make things look like taxes that aren't really taxes. They might control some of the levers of the decision on when they can use uh, um 
reconciliation, uh, how they're going to address tax issues, raise personal taxes, raise corporate taxes. This is going to be quite an interesting couple of years and one that um, has many of us very concerned about the um, backward steps we might be taking in developing the kind of economy that is inclusive. Uh, we had a president, in my opinion, that was really a blue-collar president, that he wanted to uh, make this work for all Americans. Uh, we saw that in the unemployment figures that were the lowest in our history for uh, minorities, for women, uh, for Asians, for young uh, black men, for whites. In every category, we had improved uh, unemployment. We also had energy independence, and the very first thing this administration did, uh, because things are being done by executive orders, he um, he removed the uh, permits for the uh, Keystone Pipeline, which cost 11,000 lives is what's been um, reported. And amazingly enough, a president who said he wants good government jobs, 8,000 of those 11 were good union jobs, high-paying jobs. And um, he so easily dismissed that, that I'm just fearful in the healthcare area that the ability for the federal government to control an enormous portion of our economy is going to be too seductive for this president and the liberal progressive Democrats to uh, give up very easily. I don't think they're going to allow the Republicans to uh, stifle them. And every turn, hopefully, um, we can delay things for a couple of years until we have another election. But it is scary times, and we thank you for your input, for your insights as to what's going on in Washington and what we're likely to see both in the short term, the first 100 days, and also what we're likely to see after 100 days and we get through some of the coronavirus issues that we're having to face. So... Thank you again. We really appreciate We appreciate uh, Chip Khan and the um, Hospital Association for the original interview that we sort of sliced and diced and picked up uh, Doug Badger's comments along the way. I hope this audience um, enjoyed it, and I hope you'll join us again next week on America's Web Radio, and you're listening to Ron Bachman, and we'll be back with Healthcare Insight next week. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.